You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. the last um, service of the year at Red Door. If I haven't met you, by the way, my name's Jonathan, I'm the pastor here, and uh, this is our final service for the year. We always end on Christmas Day, and, um, and as Doug said, the next two Sundays, we won't have services here, but we encourage you to gather together, and uh, not just invite your best buds, but you, you know, that neighbour that really annoys you. Um, invite him round uh, to, and extend the love of God to him, like just as Jesus did across a shared table. If you um, are looking for somewhere to be over those two Sundays, if you want to join any one of us for lunch, then you can just uh, go to our website. There's a contact page. Drop us an email through that or find us on Facebook um, and, uh, yeah, let us know. We'll, we'd be glad to find you somewhere to go for lunch over the next couple of Sundays. Um, you know, there's this uh, principle of psychology called um, complementarity, and, uh, and the principle of complementarity is just that uh, in, in normal everyday interactions, people tend to match the energy of the person that they're interacting with. So if uh, during the greeting of peace, someone came up to you with a beaming smile, even behind the mask, you know, you can see those little squinty eyes, right? They're, and they're really, they're, 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 they're just happy to see you uh, and giving you a big welcome, then I bet most likely you would have reciprocated in some way. You would have matched their smile with your own or a get firm handshake or whatever. Um, uh, if you come to me after the service and give me a great big hug and just tell me how much you love me, then I will likely do the same um, in my own introverted kind of way. You'll see this if, you know, after the service, if Gihan comes up and, you know, like, as he often does, breaks two or three of my ribs with a hug, I will, you know, give him a little pat on the back, which is my version of his kind of hug, all right? And, and that's, that's called complementarity. We match the energy of the person we're interacting with. This goes both ways, by the way, it, not just in positive ways, but also negative. If someone comes to you with aggression, you tend to, just by virtue of being a creature, uh, respond in kind. I saw this yesterday. Um, I was here most of the day yesterday and my, my, my window faces out onto Commercial Road, which on, on, on Christmas Eve is like the home straight at the Bathurst 1000. It's just like, it's just like thousands of cars going as fast as possible. Uh, and then it's like the pits down here where people are just pulling in and out of those car parks along the side of the road. It's chaos is what it is. And... Um, I saw several close calls um, throughout the day of yesterday, and then in the evening I was walking down to the pizza shop down here because Josh and Briley had shouted us um, dinner and so ordered us some pizzas, and I was walking down there. They were really good, by the way. Thank you. Uh, and uh, anyway, I was walking down there to pick them up at about, I don't know, 6 o'clock, and just beside me this car pulled out from one of those roadside car parks without looking there was someone bearing down on them at 400 kilometers an hour and jammed the brakes on right next to me gave me a fright stopped just behind and then pulled immediately beside and was like screaming at them 
And this person, who had pulled out without looking, who was completely in the wrong in every way, responded with his own screaming, swearing and shaking of his fists. Now, why is that? It's the principle of complementarity. If you ask that guy now, you know, was it your fault that that near miss happened? He'd probably say, yeah, that was dumb. But in the moment, he responded in kind. Complementarity is what it's called. I uh, heard a podcast a little while ago where they explored the concept of non-complementarity, which is far more rare. Complementarity is our normal way of interacting with one another. Non-complementarity is where something happens that should trigger a complementary response and then someone flips the script and pulls the rug out from underneath that interaction and does something very unexpected. So there's this story, fascinating, like bizarre story um, told by a guy named, I think it's Michael and Christine. They were um, at a party um, in someone's backyard in Washington DC in the middle of summer. It was a beautiful night. There was about eight of them gathered in someone's backyard and they were drinking French wine and eating cheese and just generally enjoying life together. I think someone had got a job promotion so they were all kind of there to celebrate. Some kids playing and this guy, Michael, was saying he was kind of looking out over the back fence at the sky, the, the, the stars in the sky, and just generally enjoying life um, with wine in hand. And he saw out of his peripheral vision this long barrel handgun and turned around and there's a guy there in the backyard, a stranger, who's got a gun pointed at this girl Christine's head and said, give me all your money or I'm going to start killing people. And uh, Merry Christmas. Don't worry, it's, it's, it, gets, it gets better from here, Judah. I know it's going to be okay. It gets better because um, it gets worse first, though, because they all looked at each other wondering what on earth was going on and then re- each of them realised in turn that no one had any money because it's the 21st century and no, one, like, you, no one's got cash, right? And so what are we going to do? This guy starts getting more and more agitated. If you don't give me some money, I'm going to start killing people. And one of the people in the gathering starts to like rebuke him. And uh, this bold strategy, she started saying, like, what, what would your mother think of you right now? Shame on you. You should be ashamed of yourself. What would your mother think? And this made things a whole lot worse. This guy got much more agitated and he said, I I don't even have a mother. I never knew my mother. Now give me some money or I'm going to start killing people. That strategy didn't work. All of them obviously were starting to panic, not knowing what on earth they were going to do. Uh, And then this woman, Christine, who has the gun pointed at her head, does something totally unexpected, something very non-complimentary. And she says to the guy, you know, we're all here celebrating tonight. Why don't you have some wine? Like, passes him a glass. And the guy, Michael, who's telling the story, says everything changed immediately. The guy was kind of, like, confused. And then he stepped forward and took the glass. Still had the gun held up drank some wine. He's like, man, that's really good wine. 
And then she said, well, well, why don't you have some cheese, good cheese too. So he takes some cheese and at that point he puts, puts the gun in his pocket. And then for the next, I don't know how long, few minutes, had this bizarre situation of the guy who comes in to kill them just sitting at the table with wine and with cheese. And Michael says at some point, it, the guy says, almost just as if to himself, he says, I think I came to the wrong backyard tonight. And they respond, a couple of them say, yeah, it's okay, we all make mistakes. <laughs> so he lingers for a little while and then he gets up to leave. And as he goes to leave, he says, it's almost like too, too, too crazy to be true. He says, can I get a hug? And one person steps forward and gives him a hug and another, and then they end up in this great big group hug. And then he leaves the party, they never see him again. That's an example of non-complementarity. It's an example of what can happen when an unusual, unnatural, you might even say gracious response, completely changes a situation, completely turns everything on its head. Now, here's my only big, one big idea this morning. My one big idea is that when you, when you consider Christmas today, when you visualise Jesus in a manger, I want you to think non-complementarity. I want you to see Christmas as the greatest, the ultimate, the supreme example of a non-complementarian response in the history of the world. That's what Christmas is. It's God's ultimate non-complementary response that turns the world upside down. To the extent that a couple of thousand years later in secular Melbourne, we come together and celebrate this bizarre, preposterous birth. The truth is that if God acted like we do out of our nature, the complementary version of, of interaction, if he acted like us, he would have, long before we ever came on the scene, long before the first Christmas, he just would have destroyed everything that he'd made. That's the complementary response, right? Because from the, the third page of your Bible up until today, right, from the, the first, very first moment in human history up until now, the creatures that God has made, the world that he has given them, together have conspired against him. They've rebelled. They've shaken their fist at him and turned away from him. They've raised a gun to his head and said, give me all you've got. That's what we've done. You can read the, like, the crazy examples of this in the Bible where people are just going absolutely mad in sin and rebellion, or you can just look at your own heart, your own track record, all of us, if we're honest, all of us know that we have 
failed God, that we have turned away from him, that we have in some sense said, I don't need you to be God because I'm God. That's the story of human history. That's the story of each one of us, each one of our lives, the way that we've related to him. And his response, if it was a complimentary response, would have been just to destroy everything. It would have been like, like my boy Judah when he's halfway through building a Lego thing and he's like, I don't really like this anymore. It's not really what I had imagined in my mind when I started building it. What does he do? Smash! Dissembles it. And so, like, if God was acting naturally, that's what he'd do. If karma was the way the world worked... That's a just response. And yet God does the unthinkable. God does the non-complimentary thing. God looks at us, looks at us shaking our fist at him, wishing he was dead, wishing he would leave us alone, and instead of destroying us, he becomes one of us. God steps in to human history. This is how Paul writes it, the Apostle Paul in one of the earliest examples of a hymn or a creed in Philippians 2. He says to the church there and to us, you should adopt the, the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. What did he do? Existing in the form of God, he did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Complimentary response. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant taking on the likeness of humanity. That's Christmas. That's God stepping into human history. That's God the Son born in a manger. This is the greatest Christmas miracle of all time. We heard in that reading that Suzanne read from Matthew the reference to Jesus being born to a virgin. A lot of people stumble over that. How could that happen? That must be a miracle. The answer is, yeah, it is. Um, That's not the greatest Christmas miracle, a baby being born to a virgin. This, This miracle, God becoming a human, makes that look like child's play. This is astonishing. This is what... People of other religions trip over when they hear about Christianity. The scandal that the transcendent would become a human being. A weak little baby born to poor refugee parents in a shed. That is unthinkable. That is a scandal. And if you, if you look at it, we won't get into this this morning, but that, that reading in Matthew, all you see through that whole birth narrative is scandal. Virgin being pregnant, the divorce, all of it's scandalous, born in a manger. I mean, it's all just ridiculous. It's a miracle. This is the greatest miracle of Christmas. And the thing about Christianity is particularly need to know this if you're here just visiting this morning or checking things out. You need to know Christians actually believe this. We believe that this is historical fact. 
historical, that it actually happened. Theologian Frederick Buchner puts it very poetically uh, when he says this, the claim of Christianity is that at a particular time and place, God came to be with us himself. When Quirinius was governor of Syria in a town called Bethlehem, a child was born who, beyond the power of anyone to account for, was the high and lofty one made low and helpless. The one who inhabits eternity come to dwell in time. The one whom no one can look upon and live is delivered in a stable under the soft, indifferent gaze of cattle. The Father of all mercies puts himself at our mercy. Year after year, the ancient tale is told, raw, preposterous, holy. And year after year, the world, in some measure, stops to listen. That's what we're here for this morning. We want to stop and listen to the greatest story ever told. Raw, preposterous, holy. The author, capital A, writes himself into the story. Divinity takes on humanity. The infinite becomes an infant. God with us. God with us. You heard it in the reading this morning. Matthew 1, 21 to 23. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. The last four weeks we've spent in Isaiah chapter 9 looking at a prophecy of the coming Messiah. A couple of chapters earlier in Isaiah 7. This is 700 years before the first Christmas. Isaiah prophesies in chapter 7 verse 14. He says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. God with us. The ultimate miracle of Christmas is God with us. The supreme non-complementary response is God with us. God born in a stable so that God might die on a cross. God born in a stable so that God might die on a cross. The ultimate non-complementary response. That's just the psychological like terminology for what we call grace. Grace is unmerited favour. Unlooked for, undeserved, unconditional love. I read you that passage from Philippians 2, which talks about first Christmas, and then he goes on 
beyond that. He says, instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on the cross. So I'm saying the greatest act of humility is God becoming human, God becoming a weak baby, the, the merciful putting himself at the mercy of the world, and then he goes lower. In his ministry, you see Jesus just going lower and lower and lower, servant of all. The night before he dies, he washes his disciples' feet, and then the ultimate sacrifice, the, the excruciating sacrifice of being put to death. Paul says, man, this is so crazy, even death on a cross. Christmas came about in the service of Easter. Jesus is born in a stable so that he might die on a cross. All of this is good news. I know we've heard it a thousand times and we know the story back to front and It would be God's grace to us this morning for us to re-experience the wonder of God's grace in sending his son into the world. I always like to contrast the grace of God with the conditional favour of Santa. You know the deal with Santa, be good for goodness sake. You don't want to end up with coal in your stocking. He's keeping a list, checking it twice. I believe that we have that vision of Santa because for some of us, we kind of, that, that's our vision of God. And in some ways, Santa is a type of God in our kind of collective consciousness. And we project onto him how we feel about God. He's even got the big beard like most of us imagine God to have, right? And, and, he, and he sits up on high and he's judging us constantly and rewarding us for whatever we do good and, and punishing us for what we do bad. But you need to know this morning, that is not what God is like. Thank God. He doesn't reward us as we deserve. He doesn't give us even what we want. This is how the Apostle Paul puts it in Romans 5. He says, rarely will someone die for a just person, like a good person. Though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were rebels, while we were bad guys, Christ died for us. That's the scandal of Christmas. Remember at that, the beginning when I told you that story, the non-complimentary story, the, 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 the guy with the gun story? The first response that people had to him was to guilt him. What would your mother think of you right now? Which did nothing 
only made things worse. It's the same with us. If any of us are here this morning because it's Christmas and we're here to pay our dues to Jesus, we get nowhere with that. That's not God's economy. It's not how he works. He doesn't look at us and shake his fist and say, what would your mother think? What would your heavenly father think? Instead, he looks at us and says, I'm having a party. Would you like some wine? He extends the cup to us of friendship and fellowship and salvation. That's what we're going to do in just a minute. We're going to stand, we're going to sing another couple of carols, and then we're going to share the Lord's Supper together, which is God extending a cup of wine to us and saying, come and join the party. So if you have peace with God this morning, if you have fellowship with him, if you've received his grace and forgiveness, then we extend that cup to you and say, join the party. If you haven't yet done that, then that's exactly what God is doing this morning. The reason you're here this morning is not to fulfill some sort of Christmas obligation to him. You're here this morning to receive gifts, to receive grace, to receive a cup of his fellowship. So please do. I'm going to pray for us now. Father, thank you. For this message of Christmas, the miracle that rather than destroying us, you became one of us. We thank you for your grace. And we're sorry that we have treated it with contempt. We're so familiar with it. Some of us are kind of bored of it. I ask now that, Lord, as we stand together and we lift our voices to you and we sing these great old hymns that we would experience once more the wonder, the joy, the miracle of God with us. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.